In this episode, we will talk about some myths, some facts, and why barracks lawyers don't do anybody any good. The point where it crosses into legal advice when you need to talk to an attorney is when you start to get into what you should do. That was a lawyer speak for he didn't really like the way I said it, so he had to make it sound better. That's fair. The resources available to soldiers are not just when they're subject to UCMJ or there's an Article 15 happening. The JAG Corps gives you some insight into human nature, that is for sure. You absolutely have the right to say, hey, I'd like to talk to an attorney about this first. Is there a magic bullet that leaders should use um, in counseling, especially if they are focused on misconduct? I am uh, Command Sergeant Major Michael Burke. I'm going to let uh, the individuals in the room introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Major J.P. Policastro. I'm the Regimental Judge Advocate, the, the lawyer for the regimental staff. Went to law school at Cumberland School of Law, uh, which is part of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I uh, used to be an armor officer and then applied and was accepted to a program called the Funded Legal Education Program, where I stayed on active duty while I went to law school, no break in service. And then when I completed law school and passed the bar, cross branch from the armor branch into the JAG Corps. And I'm Captain Johnny Stormo. I'm the Administrative Law and Operational Law Attorney for 2CR. I was an S-1 officer for three years uh, before I applied also to the FLEP program. I graduated from Harvard Law School in 2018, and so that's when I took the bar, and I, this is my first duty station as an attorney. Johnny Stormo. badass. It's a superhero name, right? It is totally a superhero Thank you. name. We're going to talk about kind of the unfortunate part of our military, which is the UCMJ process. Uh, it's never enjoyable to have to hear the details and make decisions kind of from a command perspective. However, it's a method within the military that we use to maintain good order and discipline in our ranks. Before we kind of dive into that, we have to start by answering some very important questions. Absolutely. So the first question that I have is, is the TV show Suits? like real life for JAG officers. Oh, it's basically a documentary. Yeah, that's what I figured. Well, you don't think that Captain Stormo actually went to Harvard Law, do you? Yeah, it's actually no, I mean, based on my life. From, that was ripped from the headlines, right? I mean, that... Yeah. I heard about this. <laughs> so you proclaim you went to Harvard Law. Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So... I, yeah, think I we... mean, it took us a while to hack into their, uh, you know, their alumni database, <laughs> but we eventually figured it out. And that's uh, how uh, that, that we were the inspiration for the show. Uh, that makes... So much more sense right now. Okay. <laughs> I understand. And then fun fact too, and actually Major Polly Castro told me this about uh, yesterday as well. Judge Judy yeah. is not a judge. Unfortunately, no. I hate to burst some bubbles, but nope. She's not a real judge. I feel like my entire life's a lie. I think she is a lawyer. Okay. She is a lawyer. She is a lawyer, but, but the courtroom you see in that show is basically a movie set. I right? figured that. Yeah. it's And so the... All these kind of TV judge shows, uh -huh. it's like alternative dispute resolution. You've got two people who have a disagreement with each other. And the only reason that, quote, unquote, judge's decision is binding uh -huh. is because the two parties have signed a contract agreeing to abide by her decision. But right. she is still awesome. Oh, she absolutely. is awesome. OK. I and I mean, she's got some killer gifs, too, right? Like the one with <laughs> so her pointing to her watch with that look on her face. <laughs> one of my favorites. 
you know, first Major Polly Castro, you did not start off as a JAG officer in your army career. You I actually did not. start. You started off as an army officer. You went to West Point. We won't hold that against you. <laughs> Both Captain Stormo and I uh, took advantage of a program that the Army JAG Corps has, um, but it's actually a relatively small percentage of JAG officers as a whole. Uh-huh. Um, and so, what the the FLEP. Mm. I always want to say FLEP program, but the P already stands for program. So then I guess I'm just supposed to say the FLEP. ATM machine. Yeah. Yeah. ATM machine. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> and actually, I'll let Captain Stormo talk about this because she's actually the FLEP kind of recruiting representative for uh, for Bavaria. And I promise this podcast is not a recruiting video, but- I just... do not promise that. Okay. <laughs> okay. Fair. Okay. I will try to keep this from being a promotional tool uh, for recruitment, but go Challenge ahead. Challenge accepted. <laughs> oh, Jesus. So so this year is the first year they've opened it up to E5 through E7s, uh, as long as they have four to eight years of active duty service and a uh, bachelor's degree. They can sign up to take the LSAT. They should get their secret clearance if they don't already have it, and they can apply. The application period is from 1 August to 1 November. So it's a, a really great deal. You get to stay on active duty while the Army pays for law school. So you're continuing to draw your paycheck. You're continuing to get BAH um, while your primary duty is you're assigned to the student detachment at Fort Jackson with duty at whatever your law school is. And then anytime you're not in class, you're doing an internship at your local JAG office. No kind kid. of learning how to be a JAG officer. They put out a milper every year and do a, a new application process every year. Only 20 to 25 applicants are selected every year. That's Army-wide. Army-wide. Army. Okay. Oh, so it is competitive. It is. Um, you know, the JAG Corps as a whole is fairly competitive. I don't know what the current stats are, but I know that, uh, not to take a dig at Captain Stormo here, but it used to be true that it was harder to get into the JAG Corps than it was to get into Harvard. As someone who's done both. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> huh. Cool. Okay. All right. So enough of the recruitment speeches. So let's talk about some, uh, you know, some serious stuff and kind of the point. So, you know, I mentioned in the intro barracks lawyers. Yeah. Okay. Let's, let's talk about that specifically. Somebody, you know, might be under investigation or somebody had some kind of misconduct or anything else. And instantly everybody is an expert in the legal system of the army and the civilian legal system. And they're providing advice. Yeah. What would you tell soldiers that if, if they have some kind of, uh, you know, action against them or there maybe even, and, you know, I can, I can speak of this. I was wrapped into an investigation one time. It was nothing I did. However, I had knowledge of it. What would you tell soldiers about that? Kosa? I would say take advantage of the resources that are available. You know, you may be able to go to your friend who their knowledge is based on their limited experience. Right. right. So they may have been through something similar and they can offer the perspective that they gained during that kind of narrow window that they that they got a peek into the system. But why rely on that kind of narrow perspective when you've got people who are available to you that can offer you not only like their perspective, but their professional legal advice in that confidential attorney-client relationship, right? Um, and so there's a lot of different types of, of JAG attorneys or a lot of different jobs a JAG attorney can have. Okay. Both Captain Stormo and I are from the regimental legal office, yep. which means that we represent the interests of the command. We advise commanders and staff and NCOs and first sergeants and so, right, so about how to carry out the business of 2CR in a legal and ethical way. Right. But there's a lot of other JAG offices here in the Vilsec Law Center uh, as well as the Graf Law Center, who have completely different roles from us. Right. Um, the first floor of Building 245 is the Legal Assistance Office. Uh-huh. Right. So they're right downstairs from us, but their mission is completely different. 
they yeah. are one of two agencies that can actually form an attorney-client relationship with an ad- individual soldier. Right. So we can't do that. Our client is the Army. But a legal assistance attorney who's on the first floor or the trial defense attorney who's on the third floor, their client is the individual who comes in and talks to them. Those resources are there. They don't cost any money for soldiers. And you're getting top-notch legal advice from someone who is trained and paid to do that. So why not take advantage of well, it? Well, and even if maybe the the specific thing is not within their their wheelhouse, so to speak, or their expertise, there's other people that are in the office that can help it help on that advice. Absolutely, they kind of pool their resources together. If they can't, if they don't have the resources to be able to help you directly, they, in my opinion, have an obligation as an attorney to point you in the right direction at least. That 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 makes sense. Anytime any kind of legal action comes up, the soldiers do have rights. Absolutely. You know? One of the great resources we have available in Bavaria is that we've got German attorneys on staff within the OSJ, which is a huge help, right? Mm. And so it, it's been a great showcase. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's All been right. a great showcase of how well uh, the two communities can work together. To that point, I'd like to bring up, I, I didn't know before I came into the JAG Corps, but the resources available to soldiers are not just when they're subject to UCMJ or there's an Article 15 happening. If you have a German law issue, you got a speeding ticket, you're having problems with your cell phone account, you can go to legal assistance and someone will help you there. You don't have to turn to your barracks lawyer friends just because it's not an official army legal action. Mm-hmm. The legal assistance office is there for all kinds of issues that soldiers face. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's a great point. You know, when people talk about the army as a whole, sometimes we take for granted all the resources we have available. Exactly. That is free to you. You don't have to pay retainers or attorney fees. It, it is all legal advice just for the simplest thing that you talked about mm-hmm. for free. You've been conus before. What sometimes delays processes over here in Germany? So a lot of times if incidents happen off post, it'll be the German authorities that deal with them. If someone gets injured, it'll be a German hospital that they'll tr- they'll be treated at. And then we'll have records that are in German and there's a process where we have to get them translated. uh, And that does tend to delay the process sometimes and frustrate soldiers. Yeah, it it absolutely does. Major Polly Castro, I'm going to ask you a complex question and hopefully you can answer it. Can you explain the court martial process to us and what does that mean? It can be complicated. I will give you that. The least serious type of court martial is called a summary court martial, right? And actually, a squadron commander, an O5 level commander, is called in in legal terms is called the summary court martial convening authority. They basically act as a judge, correct? So they appoint a impartial officer to to act as a pseudo judge. It's like okay. a quasi judicial role. Right? So in that sense, the fact that it's not presided over by a real judge, it's almost more like an Article 15 than okay. it is a court martial. In addition to that, because there's less due process there, it's not really a judge presiding over it. Um, it doesn't count as a conviction after you lose the army. A, a summary court martial has the ability to sentence the soldier to up to 30 days in confinement. And that's really the big difference between an Article 15 and a summary court martial. The next serious type of court martial is actually brand new. The Military Justice Act of 2016 brought some huge changes to the military justice system. One of the things that it introduced was a new type of court martial. This new type of court martial can only preside over certain lower level types of offenses, only presided over by a military judge. Uh, so there's no option at that type of court martial to have a, a jury trial. After that, we have what's called a special court martial. Special court martial is presided over either by a judge or a jury, what we call in the, in the military a panel. Um, and the, the soldier who's on trial gets the option of whether they want a judge or a jury. That type of court martial can can result in up to 12 months confinement. 
And it also counts as a federal conviction once you leave the military, if you're found guilty at that. Those types of special courts martial can also be empowered to, uh, to kick you out of the army with a bad conduct discharge. And then the most serious is what we call a general court martial. Right. And so a general court martial is uh, life in prison is the cap on confinement, right? So it's, it's for your most serious offenses and can result in a dishonorable discharge. Because that's so serious, it does also require uh, an additional kind of due process step that is called a, a Article 32 preliminary hearing. The best way to describe it probably is the military equivalent to a grand jury indictment hearing where a neutral party hears the evidence and kind of makes a recommendation about whether they think there's enough evidence to go forward to trial, if there's probable cause that you committed that crime. Okay. I think that's about as short as I could condense the court martial process down into. All right. You're an armor officer, sir. And then you make the- Death you before decide, dismount. Death before- Oh, my Lord. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Did you hear that? Did he wear tanker boots in here? I've got them. <laughs> he does have I've them. I've got them. They're not um, on, though. Yeah. So what was your kind of reason for deciding to go this route, sir? Yeah. So I was an armor officer for several years before joining the JAG Corps. I, I loved the armor branch. You know, I didn't have, it, I didn't leave the armor branch because I had complaints about that branch. Uh, um, I- only made the transition because being a lawyer is what I've always wanted to do. Oh, really? Yeah, I've okay. wanted to be a lawyer since I was like eight years old, which I know is odd. Like most eight-year-olds are talking about, I don't know, not lawyers usually. Uh, uh, no. Space I, Force. Yeah, maybe Space Force. Right? That might have been an option for me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I know that's a bit unusual, but I've wanted to be an attorney since I was like eight years old. And so I also wanted to be in the Army. Joining, going to West Point and then commissioning into the armor branch, I knew I wanted to have that combat arms experience. I joined the army one year after 9-11 and just, you know, I, it was important to me to like be part of that. Right. And so I wanted that experience. I loved it. I loved leading soldiers. Uh, I, you know, I deployed to Iraq uh, with 1-2 infantry at a 1st Brigade 4ID out of Fort Hood at the time. They're, right. they're at Carson now. I loved leading troops. I loved the adrenaline rush that it is of being like in that combat arms environment. And, and I didn't really want to give up the, the army either. Um, and kind of learning that there was a way that I could keep both was, uh, it was a no brainer to me. Like once I found out that I, that I had the option to continue to stay in the army and become an attorney and meet both goals at once. Now it's amazing, you know, what you could do within the army. And I can't really, you know, personally speak of it because I've literally done one thing my entire career, but that's cool. And so I, I guess if I could encourage anyone listening, who's got goals beyond what they're doing right now. Right. Is at least to consider, is there a way for you to meet those goals within the army? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And kind of to go back to what you said earlier, there may be a way to meet those goals and even have the army pay for it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was a platoon leader, I used to tell my soldiers all the time, like, if you walk away from the army without having at least one degree paid yep. for, it's like walking away from a $60,000 bonus. Yep. It, right. You're absolutely right. And and so many people do get out, you know, they never, they go out and they just immediately start using their GI Bill, mm -hmm. which is great. You know, the amount of people that probably don't use their GI Bill yeah. is significant. Significant, but um, you can get a degree without ever touching your GI Bill. Yep. You know, I mean, and still have it to pass under your dependents. Yeah, or if you want to go for advanced schooling. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have myself. I have got my master's degree without touching a dollar of my GI Bill. That's it great. has all been tuition assistance. Mm -hmm. Now, granted, it took me twenty years to do that, but you know, a lot of people go to school for twenty years. <laughs> Call lawyers, but uh, anyway. <laughs> so, Captain Starmer, what were you before you became a? So I was a human resources officer. I served as a battalion S1 and an engineer battalion okay. for three years. Same job, same battalion. I went to college on my own and then did OCS afterwards to find a way to pay off some debt and get right. some service in. And then I was at a point where I'd done my three years. 
I was sort of at the decision cusp. Am I going to stay in the army and keep being an S1? Or am I going to get out and come up with something else that I'm going to do? And I found out about this FLEP program and it it was, again, a way to stay in the army, which was something I had learned to love, learned to be familiar and comfortable with, but then also feel like I was advancing my career in education. But you didn't always want to be a lawyer. I did not always want to be a lawyer. I still don't. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You do realize you're Raiders in here, right? Okay. All right, Captain Stormo, I do have a question for you. We know that society does not like lawyers. So do lawyers like lawyers? <laughs> oh wow. This is this is a touchy question. Oh man. As you remember, I told me earlier, Major Polly Castro I was gonna ask you that. And I just wanted to see your reaction. That's not true. I love lawyers. I don't know why that is. I think a lot of the way lawyers feel about lawyers is the fact that lawyers wrote all of the rules that lawyers follow. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair. Okay. Lawyers have to deal with other lawyers, right? And, well, yeah. and other lawyers make us mad as much as they make our clients mad, right? Okay. It can, can happen. But I do believe that practicing law is a time-honored profession. One of the great things about being a military attorney is we often refer to ourselves as dual professionals, mm-hmm. right? Because the army is a profession okay. and the law is a profession. Um, and that, there's a lot of similarities too, right? I mean, the UCMJ is the way that the army polices itself. Yep. There's not a lot of other jobs out there. Because of your employment, you're subject to an entirely different set of statutes, an entirely unique legal system. That brings up a great point, and I think we can we can actually have a conversation about this. The Uniform Code of Military Justice, there are portions of it that if you were a civilian and you worked for Microsoft mm-hmm. and you had that misconduct or whatever, your boss, quite frankly, would not care. They wouldn't ask you about it. They wouldn't want you to talk about it. Don't bring it to the office. That's your life, but we expect you from nine to five to deal with this. Just do your so, job, and that's all we care. But the Army is different. When you put on this uniform, you become what is the best of society. You are a soldier all the time. Well, I mean, the army is a position of trust within society. We give our military a lot of power and we defer to them a lot, right? Yep. Like we let military authorities kind of police themselves or write their own rules in a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And so because of that, right, I think the nation expects us to hold ourselves to a higher standard because of the trust they've given us. Good way of putting that. That, that. That's a great way of putting it. There are certain positions and statuses where anything you do wrong reflects on uh, the larger group, right? And I think the military is one of those where people see a soldier doing the wrong thing. They're not going to see it as that one soldier did the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. It reflects on the military as a whole. And that's why it's so important for everyone to follow the rules that we put in place all the time, not just in uniform on duty. No, absolutely. I mean, it ties that good order and discipline kind of thing. The way the UCMJ is set up reflects that. Most civilian jurisdictions, the law applies to you based on your geographic location. If you are in the state of Missouri, you have to abide by the state law of Missouri because you're in Missouri. Okay. Right. The UCMJ is different. The UCMJ applies to you because of your status, not your location. The UCMJ is a federal law. It's a federal statute. But even though we're not in the United States, the UCMJ still applies to soldiers over here in Europe or anywhere they are in the uh, the world. You know, and I have an example of that, actually. So I was, you know, it was in another duty station and I had a soldier and he had a positive UA for uh, marijuana. And his argument was, is, well, in this state is legal. Mm Mm-hmm. And it falls exactly into what you're saying. Okay, yes, it is legal in this state, but federal 
it is not legal and right. it is not legal for service members to consume thc right you know it's a controlled one substance mm -hmm. right no matter where you are in the world you are a soldier mm -hmm. and you are still subject to ucmj that's right and if it's illegal it's illegal captain stormo agreed well thanks for your <laughs> contribution on that one all right tell your best story I have been at a few other duty stations and uh, as a JAG and, uh, you know, I think I feel like it's separated in time and space enough to tell a few good stories. Uh, we had a couple of, a couple of soldiers pull their truck through the woods in the middle of the night and back up to the, on, back up to the fence on the outskirts of the on post campground, right? Hop the fence, uh, go grab a couple of couches out of the campground and load them in the back of their truck, um, and then post them on for sale on Craigslist. Nice. Um, only thing they didn't know is that they were selling them to an undercover CID agent on Craigslist. Never uh, trust Craigslist. <laughs> Under, uh, he was trying to break up a, a criminal couch ring. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. Criminal. Yeah, criminal couch couch oh selling my ring. Lord, yep. that is ridiculous. Yeah, it has a great ending too because uh, we actually ended up bringing one of those cases to court martial. There's two soldiers involved. One of them pled guilty on an immunity deal in exchange for, for testifying against the other soldier. And after pleading guilty and then testifying against his, uh, his friend, his friend was acquitted at court-martial. Wow. I think once the, uh, once the jury heard uh, the campground employees say, yeah, we were planning on throwing those couches out anyway, it was kind of like, wait, why are we here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, okay. There, there is a, a portion, I don't know if it's CID or what it exists, but they watch online yeah. for the sale of government equipment. The life lesson here is army trash is not really trash. That is fair. That's there's correct. A, there's a destruction process for it. Yep. You're absolutely yep. right. It's going to DRMO. They're going to sell it to a state agency or do some, put it on an auction. Yep. Army trash or is not really just trash. Destroy it. One of the great things about being a JAG is that I got to see so much more of what the army does uh, than I ever knew existed as an armor officer. Right? Like I thought I knew what the army was about right. because I knew how to conduct a combat operation. It wasn't until I joined the jag core that like the curtain was peeled back a little bit and i like saw the wizard that pulled all the like levers and switches behind the curtain to make the army operate and i realized how much more there was to the army i mean jag officer you know at the regimental level you sit in our talk yep. when we're you know when we're in ctc rotations and stuff and if we were going to combat you would absolutely be sitting in there providing legal advice on operations to the commander. Yeah, people. I think a lot of people whose only interaction with the JAG Corps has been through the UCMJ process or something right. like that think that that's all we do. While criminal law or what we call military justice is like a huge part of what we do, um, it is far from being the only thing we do. Military support to operate, like legal support to operations is, a, is another huge part of what we do that most people don't get to see because it kind of happens in that small bubble of inside the talk or in the commander's uh, mobile command post. But every time um, there's a targeting decision being made that's a close call. A JAG is right there by the commander's arm offering advice on uh, the, the principles of the law of armed conflict. If you're going to be doing a non-combatant evacuation in theater, right, JAGs are always plugged into all those types of operations that offer risk to the command, right? And that's one of the things that we do is help the commanders manage risk. Commanders are always the ones that make decisions. Right, but we yeah. want to we want to enable our commanders to have all the facts, yep, and and be as prepared to make those decisions as they can when it comes down for them to put pen to paper. Yep, absolutely. You know, and I've I've had the benefit throughout my career that every commander that I've ever worked with has taken that process extremely seriously. Yeah. Um, you know that when they are adjudicating any kind of legal process, they take it very very mm -hmm. serious. Um, and they I know, know a few to... commanders who used a different pen. They had a pen that they kept in their drawer. 
only for signing UCMJ documents. Wow. And it was kind of like to like signal to themselves that this was like something serious that they were doing. Well, I mean, you know, the decisions that are made and the things that you have to do, they are, they change people's lives Mm -hmm. and you cannot take that lightly. What are some of the things that NCOs can use your resources? You know, these sergeants, these staff sergeants, these first classes can use uh, the legal teams. Any sort of policy letter or SOP, if you're like the unit POC in your unit for a certain subject for your analysis, uh, you can bring your urinalysis SOP to the legal office and we'll look it over. If you're the unit fund custodian for the cup and flower fund, we'll help you figure out how to manage that and how to look it over. So it's a lot more than just the brigade level um, we, we talk to the troop levels and the, the soldiers within the troops and staff of the squadrons. Counseling that might be negative in nature. You could also bring those to your office as well. Yeah, definitely. And we encourage it just to look it through and make sure that all your T's are crossed and your I's dotted. Yeah, and every squadron has a squadron paralegal. Paralegals can't give legal advice. They can be a great resource for pointing you in the right direction, identifying issues, knowing when you need to go talk to an attorney. They can be a great first stop. At that well, and they point. can help you a lot with, you know, the the, the, the building of any kind of packet mm-hmm. or, um, you know, any kind of document uh, that you might have that you need to submit or might make it make its way up for a multitude of reasons. It doesn't need to necessarily just kind of be for the UCMJ. They can help with that because they that's their job is to review a lot of that stuff before it goes into a lawyer, organize things. The way I explain it to my paralegals is right. Like a paralegal can all day tell you what you can do. Right. They can look in the regulation for you. They can they can point you to where the proper spot is in the regulation and tell you, hey, this is these are some of the options that the regulation gives you. The point where it crosses into legal advice when you need to talk to an attorney is when you start to get into what you should do. That's a good way of looking at that. I don't know if this will necessarily fall in the, the myth realm. Is there a magic bullet that leaders should use um, in counseling, especially if they are focused on misconduct? So I think this is a common myth that there's a certain phrase that needs to be there a certain way. Uh, Really what we do and a lot of what we do, like Major Polly Castro said before about can and should, is let you know best practices. So there are best practices of information that you should put in a counseling, like what some people refer to as a magic bullet. Um, But there's no single phrase that needs to be put in a certain way or else the world explodes and none of your counselings count for anything. I'd, I got to get a pet peeve off my chest. NCOs that say, I'm going to give you an Article 15. Yeah. Okay. You can make recommendations to whoever is your commander, but you don't give anybody an Article 15. And neither do lawyers. Yeah. Okay. Fair. Lawyers yeah. don't give anybody Article 15s either, right? We implement the decisions that a commander made. Commanders are the ones who wield UCMJ authority. Good point. You know, people make lawyers be out to be the bad guys. We're the good guys. So <laughs> <on> the record. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Let's say you have a flipple, okay, or you have a 15-6 investigation that is that you are maybe the subject of, but quite frankly, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just part of the witness list, as you you know, as you said earlier. What are your rights as a soldier? This is the type of thing that Captain Stormo would advise the investigating officer about during the course of the investigation. Oftentimes, if someone is asking you about those things, they will read you your rights first, and that will tell you some information about what you can do. But even if you haven't been read your rights, if someone's asking questions or to make a sworn statement, you absolutely have the right to say, hey, I'd like to talk to an attorney about this first. And just like we talked about earlier, it's a free service. You just call and make an appointment and say, I'm being asked questions about this. I wanna know what I can or should say. 
and you will get set up with an appointment and an attorney will, whether or not you've done anything wrong. No, lawyers are not necessarily counselors, so to speak, and but they can help ease kind of the stress associated with that because yeah. they can tell you what potentially could happen, so to speak, you know, what the process is and kind of lay it out. You know, the first time, you know, you get called in and know you're going to get your rights read to you. If you don't know what's going on- It can be it, unnerving. It can be very unnerving. And what they can do is they can help kind of- ease that unknown and, and explain what could potentially happen and how the process works so that it, it makes it less stressful. Absolutely. And got to go back to the fact that, right, this is something that because we are keepers of the process, not a result, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we, we protect the process. And so no commander or investigating officer is going to stop you from asserting the rights that uh, that the army's afforded to you, right? Or, yeah. or law has afforded to you. And so if you have questions about what those rights are, take advantage of the free services that the JAG Corps offers and, and ask the question to an attorney. What if a leader tells them they can't go see an attorney? I would encourage any leaders that want to limit that right in any way to talk to their legal advisor about that. And yeah. about, again, I'm not going to say that, that a commander can never um, like address the time and place, like, hey, that appointment that you set up with that attorney is not going to work because we have live fire. Right. That okay, might be different fair. than saying, that's like, not necessarily... I'm not going to let you talk to an attorney. Yeah. Okay. That That's a good point. You know, the, the, hey, that doesn't work because of your job, but I'm not denying you right. the right to go see an attorney. I'm just saying not right now, you know, yeah. like, you know, at a, at a time that's makes sense as far as what your obligations are. So if a leader has a question about the best way to phrase that to their soldier yeah, to, to stop it point. from being misinterpreted, come talk to the regimental JAG office. We'll help you figure out the best way to phrase that. And putting things in writing is always helpful. <laughs> it does make it easier to reevaluate it on the back end. Well, because then it's just hearsay. You know, it's he, he said, she said, so to speak, you know, sometimes. It, it does make it easier to have in writing, right? Because you're not relying on people's memories. That that was a lawyer speak for. He didn't really like the way I said it, so he had to make it sound better. That's fair. Okay. Sustained. <laughs> Sustained. Jesus. What? Wait, what's going on here? <laughs> okay. Um, the uh, alibi that uh, you, somebody passed you a vape in a club and you did not knowingly know what you were ingesting is not a good argument to why you had a positive UA. So I got to give the disclaimer up front. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Right? Fair. So okay. anything you hear on this is for discussion purposes only. This okay. is not legal advice. I'm going to give you the most lawyer answer ever and say it's complicated. Every crime within the UCMJ, the bottom line is for you to be found guilty of that offense, Right. There's got to be um, evidence beyond a reasonable doubt of every one of those elements. Some violations of the UCMJ do require that you did something knowingly. Right. And right. so it's a factor, you know, in every case on its own merits. Yeah, and, absolutely. And the, absolutely. Uh, I do believe that. Yeah. Yep. Purposefully avoiding finding out what something is, is sometimes the same as knowing what it is or sometimes enough. Just to say, like, I didn't ask what it was when there's plenty of circumstances. You can't stick your head in the sand. Exactly. Right. And yeah, like, it's kind of like, like the ignorance ignore. of the law doesn't mean that you're not subject to the regulations. Well, that's law. definitely true, right? Yeah. You're kind of put on constructive notice. In the law's eyes, you're deemed to like be on constructive notice that that law exists, right? So if you didn't know the speed limit was 50 uh -huh. and you were going 60, that's not going to get you off the hook necessarily. So what are some frequently asked questions that make you question humanity? <laughs> oh, man. 
The JAG Corps gives you some insight into human nature, that is for sure. Because one of the things I've learned is that humans are just humans. And putting on a, you know, we talked about how we hold ourselves to a higher standard in the military and all that. And I hope all of that is true. We've put these boundaries in place because we recognize that we should be held to a higher standard. But putting on a uniform is not magic. No, it's not. It doesn't make you a better person. No, it does not. And and at some point, the Army is just a cross-section of humanity. It is. Um, And so all the same problems that exist in human society exist within the army to some degree. What you just said, sir, that is why it isn't so important that we hold each other accountable. Yeah. If leaders see misconduct, especially with other leaders, and they don't dig into it or report that maybe through the chain of command, it is counterproductive to what you just talked about. Mm-hmm. If they brush things under the rug mm-hmm. or they hide misconduct, especially of leaders, then it just it builds upon that negative culture that we're talking about right there. And it just makes it run rampant because it, it kind of falls into the, you know, leading by example kind of thing is if you're one of those leaders that one maybe has pushed things under the rug or you're the one that's actually has a misconduct that yeah. was never handled properly in the UCMJ, you can't hold soldiers accountable. You can. But there's always going to be a degree of uh, that kind of double speak that's just not going to allow you to see it. You lose credibility a little bit. That too. It's an important thing to talk about that you have an obligation, whether you're a leader, whether you're a soldier or not. And if you see some kind of misconduct or the perception of misconduct, you know, you have to communicate that. Um, And maybe it'll be nothing. And uh, maybe it'll be a whole, you know, maybe it was something that was just misinterpreted, but we have to hold each other accountable. Yeah, that's absolutely the risk, I think, of being self-policing, right, is that we have to ourselves be the ones who are accountable enough Mm -hmm. to uphold that standard. Because the second we start letting certain people get away with certain things because of who they are or how we feel about them, that's when everything starts to degrade. Like you said, our soldiers lose trust and it starts to create an environment of toxicity and um, uncertainty in the ranks that makes every day just really unbearable. It's one of the reasons that I love the fact that commanders own the UCMJ process, right? Okay. Because it is soldiers holding soldiers accountable. I agree. Right? It is, it's self-policing. I agree. Um, and when we do that and when it's intentional because it's built into the system, right? And when it's applied the way it was intended to be, that builds trust in the system. Yeah. Right. I think what you're talking about is people losing f- faith in the system working uh, the way it's supposed to. And then yep. that erodes the whole the whole concept. of yeah, it. Yeah. No, it absolutely does. So we talked about, uh, you know, the fact that there are some unfortunately dark things, right, that that you have to that you have to be a part of uh, in offering legal advice within the within the JAG Corps. Um, but, you know, there's some light, some lighthearted things, too. And, you know, we just look for ways to, uh, I guess, find the humor in things sometimes right yeah and uh while i want to stay away from any 2cr stories uh because sometimes you just got to laugh and think really (laughs) all right let's hear it so uh previous unit which will remain unnamed that was shutting down a brigade having previously been a troop xo i can completely empathize with like the nightmare probably of trying to completely close a hand receipt to shut down a unit. Oh, gosh. Um, And I'm sure that that was a stressful time for everybody, but it created a nightmare of things that were discovered after the fact of of shortcuts people had taken to try and do that the wrong way in order to get to make a time hack. So people took like $100,000 worth of arms room equipment that was still in the package and dumped it in the woods so that they, instead of turning it into DRMO, except they dumped it in the woods in a tough box that had their like UIC and unit name stenciled on the box, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> you could almost do like, you remember the old show, America's Dumbest Criminals, right? You could definitely run one of those uh, for the JAG Corps. And I think people would watch. I have no doubt. Uh, the Army could be its own reality television show. Absolutely. Times. And should be. Right? Why don't we do I, that? It's a no, terrible we idea. No, terrible we shouldn't. Idea. Okay, so anything else that uh, you guys want to share? Anything else you guys want to talk about? If you have any interest at all in becoming a uh, lawyer or intrigued by the is. FLIP program, absolutely. That's um, one of my jobs here is I'm the point of contact for the FLIP program. I think it's super exciting that uh, NCOs can apply now. Okay, so as uh, we wrap up, is there anything else, Major Polycastro? You know, I will say that uh, it's a privilege to advise commanders the way that we do. And, and speaking as someone who's now coming out of two-year assignment uh, as the regimental judge advocate, uh, this job has given me a really, really great admiration and appreciation for everything that units like 2CR do. To see the commanders throughout the, you know, at the troop squadron and uh, regimental level and all the leaders and staff that support them um, and to see the sheer amount of operations that they are responsible for and keep track of. We've gotten to support that in a large way, and that's been a huge honor. And I've I've really enjoyed my time in 2CR. I've loved working for Team 80. And, uh, and it's, it's really a great unit. I appreciate that. All right. So as we close it up, hopefully the, this episode uh, provided some insight into, uh, you know, how the law process works for the military, uh, some of the rights and uh, things that are available to you as a soldier. Uh, you even have some additional resources uh, that are free of charge, just like we talked about, and some advice and counsel that you can actually receive as a soldier. We also told you about the FLEP program uh, multiple times. Uh, <laughs> go FLEP. <laughs> go FLEP. Um, you know, so that that's good, you know, because we need to inform the formation, whether, you know, you just have general questions or, you know, you know of somebody that maybe needs some advice or needs some help. Barracks lawyers do you no favors. They are not trained professionals. They do not have the experience uh, to provide you sound legal advice. And what you hear from them, yeah, maybe they have, you know, Google, but nothing's going to replace a, a lawyer that passed the bar and uh, has the experience and an entire team uh, that works together to provide you the best advice and counsel. Thank you for coming on the show, Captain Stormo. Thank and you. Major Polly Castro, definitely the best uh, JAG officer I've worked with in my uh, 22 years of experience. You have the ability to take the complex and make it very simple for us to understand. Definitely appreciate you and I appreciate all you do. And uh, this is Jagoon 7 signing off the net. We want to keep these going, but we want to make sure that they're engaging. If you have any ideas of anything that you would like to have us cover, please let us know, contact the PAO, and make your suggestion. Also, if you would like to be on a podcast, again, contact the PAO, because we want to bring soldiers in across the entire regiment and have them contribute to this.